Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. This term, we're beginning a new series. We're going to be looking at the life of Moses from today right up until Advent, and then we'll follow the Advent readings through till Christmas. Moses' life story is told in the book of Exodus, which that reading was from. There's also references to it in Leviticus, in Numbers, and in Deuteronomy. Genesis reveals uh, what came before Moses. Those five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch. So why Moses? Why spend a significant amount of our uh, church time and our church teaching uh, looking at this man and his life story? Well, three reasons. The first is this. Some of the most significant events in the history of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, are told in these books. Exodus is the story of the greatest escape in human history. Over two million slaves escaped from one of the most fortified nations on earth, ancient Egypt. And Moses is their human leader. Although, as we'll see, it's actually God who delivers them. The name of the book, Exodus, comes from the Greek. Ex, meaning out, hodos, meaning way. It's literally the book that tells the story of the way out, the way out of slavery. It's the story of the descendants of Abraham, who settled in Egypt under the protection of Joseph and grown in number. They grow so large that they're perceived as a threat by the rulers of Egypt, by the pharaohs. He's frightened that the Hebrews, the Israelites, might side with Egypt's enemies, that they might become a fifth column within. And so the whole people are enslaved and put to work. Exodus 1, verse 13, we read, They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick and in the field. In all their work, they made them work ruthlessly as slaves. These slaves will be freed. These slaves will find a way out. And they'll find that way out under Moses' leadership. This story is significant because it marks the beginning of Israel's history as a nation. They receive their political freedom, they become a sovereign nation in their own right. In time, they'll claim a territory for their own, the promised land, and they will settle it. But all of that is to come. But first, they have to escape. And that escaping will shape their self-understanding and their understanding of God. That escape will be remembered throughout their history and down throughout the church's history. Just as Americans celebrate their independence on the 4th of July every year, just as that event defines them as a people, so every year the children of Israel will celebrate the Passover and recount the story of God's deliverance of them. 
So this is a story of great national significance for Israel and for the church. But it's a story too of great spiritual significance. This is the second reason why we're looking at this story of Moses. This journey is a journey to freedom, but it's also a journey of discovery. The Israelites are going to discover who their God is. They're going to realise afresh who the God is who has created them as a people. They're going to realise that he's more powerful than they ever thought he was. That he's more powerful than any other who would claim the title God. Be they pharaohs or Egyptian deities. Because he alone is real. In the life of Moses, we'll see how God reveals himself to Moses and to his people. At the start of this book, God is simply known by the formal title, El Shaddai. It means God Almighty. In the course of this book, in the course of the Exodus, God reveals himself to be more than just the Lord Almighty but to be Yahweh, the great I Am. Israel will discover that the Lord Almighty is also the Eternal One, without beginning or end. An English translation of Yahweh might be always, meaning eternally. One writer says, always is God's first name, but he has many second names. And in the Exodus, the people of God will discover God's second names. They'll discover that he's always my provider, always my helper, always my protector, always my healer. And my prayer is that in this uh, series, we'll discover that too for ourselves. That God is always our provider, always our healer. Always our helper, always our protector. And thirdly, Moses' life sheds life on the life of Jesus. St. Augustine famously said, In the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. Moses is a forerunner of Jesus. He brings colour, he brings flavour, he brings texture to our understanding of who Jesus is. There are many parallels or similarities between the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. In understanding who Moses is and what he experienced and what he went through, we see a greater light shed on who Jesus is, what he experienced, what he went through. Both Moses and Jesus will be threatened at birth. Moses under the reign of Pharaoh, Jesus under the reign of Herod. In chapter 1, before our passage, we read uh, that the Hebrew midwives were instructed by Pharaoh uh, to kill the Israelite boys as they were born. But mercifully, they disobey that order. In Luke's Gospel, we read of uh, Herod's slaughter of the innocents. 
other young boys born at the same time of Jesus. Moses will uh, flee to safety in the land of Midian. Joseph will take his adopted uh, Jesus to safety in the land of Egypt. Both Moses and Jesus will see themselves as outsiders. Chapter 3, Moses declares, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I've been a traveler in a place that doesn't belong to me. Jesus will declare, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Both Moses and Jesus will encounter God in the deepest way. Moses will see God face to face. Jesus will declare, I and the Father are one. Both both will deliver the law. Moses will bring forth the Ten Commandments. Jesus will bring forth the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, a new law for a new people. Both Moses and Jesus are mediators. They're people who stand in the gap, people who stand in the middle. Moses will intercede for his people. He'll he'll pray for them after they rebel against God and he'll save them from destruction. Jesus is the great intercessor for us. He stands at the right hand of the Father. He is the one mediator, the one go-between, between God and humanity. He stands in our place before God and reveals God to us. There are more of these parallels as we go on. And each of them, I hope, will understand Jesus better. But as we do so, we need to be wary of the trap of only seeing symbols and forgetting the substance. Some of the stories in the life of Moses are very familiar to us, particularly those of us who've had a a church background as children. But we need to be careful that we don't just uh, see stories to learn lessons from. We don't just see truths to be taken on board that become disconnected from reality and history. One of the lessons that we'll learn through the life of Moses is that God's truth is anchored in history. His character is revealed in in what he does, in the lives of real people, in real places, at real times. And of course, that's what Jesus demonstrates so beautifully. In the life of Moses, we're dealing with real people and real events and a real God meeting them. Just one aside to help you with that. If ever you've walked along the north bank of the Thames, uh, up by uh, Embankment Tube, uh, you'll have seen what's known as Cleopatra's Needle. Although it's nothing to do uh, with Cleopatra. It's a tall uh, stone obelisk uh, covered in Egyptian hieroglyphics. It stands 70 feet tall. It's carved out of red granite. Uh, It weighs over 200 tons. It was presented to the United Kingdom in 1819 by the ruler of Egypt, Sudan Muhammad Ali, in commemoration of the victories of Lord Nelson at the Battle of the Nile. I love this comment. Although the British government welcomed the gesture, 
it declined to fund the expense of transporting it to London. The obelisk is over 3,000 years old. It was erected in the palace of Pharaoh Thutmose III. 200 years later, the inscriptions upon it were added during the reign of Pharaoh Ramesses II. One of the great mysteries of the Bible is nowhere are we told the identity of the Pharaoh with whom Moses dealt with. But scholars have narrowed it down to two candidates. It was either Thutmose III or Ramesses II. That means that obelisk was either quarried by Hebrew slaves, the people of Moses, and set up in the Pharaoh's court when Moses was a child, when he was receiving his education there. Or later, 200 years later, it was moved to a place of education and hieroglyphics were inscribed upon it. And if that's the case, then at that time, Moses would have been one of uh, the young princes in that place of education. And he would have read those inscriptions as a child. That obelisk you can walk past, put your hands upon, take photos of, that stands almost anonymous in the heart of uh, London, was witness to the life of Moses. And Moses would have seen that, either when it was made and constructed and uh, put in Pharaoh's temple, or when it was moved to a place of education and the inscriptions were placed upon it. Real people, real events, real places. Some final thoughts for today. One of the last books to be written in the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. And it's a book uh, written, a letter written to Jewish Christians, uh, people of an Israelite heritage, uh, to encourage them in their faith. And in chapter 11, we have a great roll call of faith. The history of the Jews is recounted, and the, the great people who stood firm in times of trial, their deeds are described. And in verse 23, we read this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember, Pharaoh the king had declared that all newborn Israelite boys were to die. And uh, Moses' parents uh, rebel against that edict because they see their child is beautiful. I love that. Or if you've been ugly. (laughs) But actually, which parent doesn't look at their child and see that they're beautiful? Which parent doesn't look at their child and want the best for them, uh, want to save them, want to rescue them, want to uh, protect them? In Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, we read this. But the Hebrew midwives feared God and did not do as the king commanded them, but let the male children live. And in verse 20, we read, Because of this, 
God's blessing is upon them. The end of our reading, uh, verse 14, we discover what the name Moses means. One pulled from the water. And there's been an image that has dominated the news this week that you cannot escape from. Another young boy, a toddler, pulled from the water on a beach in Turkey. Sadly, there's to be no rescue for that young boy. And as a result of that image, there's been much talk and much discussion about how we respond as a continent, as Europe, as a country in the UK, as communities around this country. And time again, talking heads and commentators have said, well, history will judge. History will judge how we respond to this uh, refugee crisis, this great migration of people seeking freedom. Moses' parents, his midwives, they do the right thing. They do the only thing that they can do. The midwives, they don't stand up to Pharaoh. They don't start a campaign. They don't make a, a song and dance about it. There's, there's nothing that they could be do. They, they'd be killed on the spot. The only thing they can do is quietly let the child live. Moses' parents, there's, there's nothing they can do. All they can do is put their child in a basket and trust him to the river. Moses' sister, there's nothing that she can do. All that she can do, the little thing that she can do, is watch the basket flow uh, down the Nile. And when Pharaoh's daughter pulls it out, is is offer her mother as, as a wet nurse for the child. There's nothing they can do, but a, a tiny little thing that they can do. Moved by compassion, this child is beautiful to them. And moved by <clears throat> what's called the fear of God. The fear of God. They have an awareness that they will be judged. Not judged by history. Not judged by commentators or historians or uh, politicians. But judged by the living God. Who one day will call each of us to account for our actions. Again, Hebrews uh, 9, verse 7. It is given to us all to live once and after that face judgment. In the story of Exodus, we see God's deliverance. In coming weeks, we'll read of God's deliverance. And we'll see fireworks. And we'll see miracles. We'll see the sea part. We'll see uh, rods turn to snakes and turn back again. We'll see uh, quail and bread uh, miraculously provided for God's people. We'll see see a a, a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night that leads God's people in the wilderness. We'll see God's great and mighty acts of deliverance. But here, at the start of the story, we see God act in the little things, 
in the hidden things, in the all-you-can-do things. And we're told that they did the right thing. And because of that, they were blessed and recorded as heroes of the faith. And often we want the pillars of fire and the pillars of smoke and the miraculous uh, provisions and the great uh, deliverance. We want the miracles. But we miss the little things. The story of Moses is above all the story of God working through people. Working through Moses. Even working through Pharaoh. Working through his people and through uh, the enemies of God's people. It's an encouragement to us to do the little thing. To do the right thing. Even if it's just a very small thing. And to know that God works through those um, actions too. Moses is saved by a midwife. And he in turn will midwife uh, a nation into being. He He will deliver them. He will bring them forth. And Jesus Christ will come out of this nation. And he will midwife, bring into being a new people. A new people to reveal his glory, to speak of his deliverance, and the hope that is found in his name. Moses is a saviour. Because he saves the people of Israel. He saves his people from their enemies. Jesus is a saviour. But here's one crucial difference between Jesus and Moses. Jesus saves the victims of oppression. And he's also able to save the oppressors. There's nothing that Moses can do for Pharaoh. But Jesus can save the victims of oppression. He can deliver them. He can heal them. He can rescue them. But also, he can save the oppressors. He can deliver the enemies of God. He can deliver those who set their faces against God's people and his world in this world. He can save the neighbor who is close by, and he can save the enemy who is far off. There is redemption and freedom and salvation for all. Those who are the victims of hatred and those who are consumed by hatred. Freedom is available to all in Jesus' name. They did the little thing, the right thing, and God worked through that and blessed them for it. Let's pray. And so, Father, we pray that in this new season in the life of our church, you'd speak to us through the story of Moses, through your servant. And we pray that in speaking to us through him, you have revealed to us more of the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows what it means for him to be a saviour, rescuer, redeemer. 
And Lord, we pray that you show us what it means for us as individuals and as a community to live in the light of that. To love our neighbours as ourselves, to obey the new law, the new commandment. Lord, we pray that you show us what we can do in our situation, in our place. What I've called the little thing is. What the right thing is. And Lord, we pray for our country. Pray for those in authority, in the place of power. For David Cameron, our Prime Minister, for his cabinet, his government. Lord, as they seek to get a handle on this refugee crisis, they seek to to work out what Britain can do and should do and, and how we can respond. Lord, we pray that you give them wisdom. You give them understanding. You give them resources they never knew that they had. Pray for our European leaders who meet together to seek a way forward. Lord, we pray that you would humble them. That you'd reveal your will for this situation. That you would give them an awareness that they'll be judged not just by history, but by you. And that you'd show them what the right thing to do is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.